Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm your host right here. And today I have another special guest interview. This guy's actually been very influential in my early days as a Christian. Uh, one of the books we're actually going to talk later in the interview was very influential as far as gaining assurance of security of salvation. This is none other than Sean Lazar. He's the director of publications for Free Grace International. And really the topic of discussion we're going to have, we're going to talk about a few different things, reward, security, assurance. Then he's going to give us a little inside glimpse into something he's working on near the end of the interview. So stay tuned on that. But Sean, thanks for being with us. Can you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Anything you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Sean Lazar and, uh, I'm originally from Montreal, Canada. I don't know if there's any other Canadians watching, but uh, I learned about Free Grace before I knew what it was called. I knew I, I didn't know that it was called Free Grace at that time. It was to me, it was just grace, you know, just justification by faith. And I live in Texas now, and I'm a, I'm an American citizen now. I love America. I love Texas, and uh, I have a beautiful wife and three kids. And I'm just amazed that I get to to write uh about grace and share it with people you can follow my podcast and my blog it's called the art of grace which you can find at freegrace.in um i think in actually means india but for our purposes we're going to say it's free grace <laughs> international <laughs> so that's the art of grace check it out and um, i'm definitely gonna have to have you on my podcast so we can kind of like share audiences here sure I, I know I, I really appreciate the humbleness that you had because I know when you were actually working on developing this new blog that you had put a poll out there with a bunch of different ideas and thoughts <laughs> yeah, and you actually yeah. allowed people to like chime in. So a lot of times you get some of these heavy hitters and, and they just want to go ahead and put their thoughts out there without any uh, just talking and asking other people for opinions. So I like how you drew the audience and the people in as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think especially in these kind of I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a small author. I'm a professional author and that's what I do as a, as a living, but, but my lifeblood is interacting with people. You know, I want, I want to hear ideas because we're, we're a body of Christ. You know, we're not supposed, we're, we weren't designed to be lone rangers. Even the lone ranger had Tonto, you know, we need other people, other ideas, other gifts. So yeah. I like drawing on those. Excellent. Excellent. You, you mentioned your blog and that's actually the first thing I wanted to bring up real quick is I'm a subscriber for your blog and Lucas Kitchen's blogs. And basically you had a recent one that talked about, I think the title was should Christians fear society's collapse. Oh, and you yeah. had a statement on there that really resonated with me because this is a topic that I talk to people out here at our church and just in our community. And even my son that, you know, we look at what's going on with the world, Russia, Ukraine, the economic influence here in America, inflation and yada, yada, yada. And so many Christians are, are fearful of what's going to happen. Mm. And you had a sentence on there that I've said before, not verbatim, but I loved it. You say, as I focus on my identity as a citizen of this country, as an American, I feel depressed and anxious. Mm. And I think that's a that's really where a lot of people go is they look at their citizenship here in America and they get concerned with what's happening with America. And that's where yeah. depression and anxiety comes could you just speak a little bit about that particular article? What led you to write it? And sure. what sort of insights do you have for the Christian that's maybe a little fearful or anxious about today's day? Yeah, I mean, uh, I love, well, I think in that article, I say I 
I'm a recovering news junkie. I love the news. I'd read it every day. I've been reading it since I was a kid. I mean, I was like one of those kids who had a subscription to the daily newspaper and I'd read that every morning. Okay. And uh, yeah, and I'd, I worked in newspapers after high school. And so I love the environment. I love the news. I love staying informed. Maybe there's even a little bit of pride, pridefulness about staying informed about the world. Um, but lately, over the last, I don't know, five, six years or whatever it is, mm -hmm. I've, I've really felt like I've become self-aware of how, how depressing the news is and how fearful, you know, it's, it's making me because there are a lot of things to be fear fearful about. I mean, we've just gone through two years of, of lockdown, businesses closed, economies uh, crashing, and it looks like it's going to get even worse. Um, and lately, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, there was like a fear about nuclear war. And I remember practicing like, here's what you do. You you hide under your desk and don't look at the bright light and all that stuff. Even in Canada, we practiced that. And I hadn't thought about that for years and years and years until just recently with the, with the Ukraine and Russia. And now that's, that's a possibility again. Yeah. Uh, so much uncertainty. Um, and then when you look home at, at America, just at America, just at our cities and the riots and the burning and the poverty and uh, what what politicians are doing in terms of the culture, um, really promoting sinfulness, just pervert, like the worst perversity, just putting it out there, making it, trying to make it normal mm -hmm. and shutting down opponents. There's a lot to be worried about. And mm -hmm. I immigrated to this country. I love America. I consider myself American. Uh, I mean, I am American. Um, but when I look at the country, I think, man, we're headed down the wrong way. We're headed, we're headed down. We're, it's, a, it's not just a slippery slope. It's a downward spiral. I mean, we're flushing our culture down the toilet. Sometimes it seems that way. I know there's some other evidence that things are actually getting better. But when I focus on that, when I focus on my circumstances, when I focus on what the secular culture is doing and is able to do, mm -hmm. I get really depressed because it's all limited. It's all corrupted. It is all... Uh, uh, it's filled with with evil and mixed intentions and perversity. And so, of course, I'm going to get depressed. Mm. Um, but I was teaching through Romans last week uh, at His Hill Bible School in Comfort, Texas. And I was just researching the history of what was happening in Rome at the time that Paul was writing. And he, Nero was emperor. I mean, do you know, do you know the yeah. name Nero? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst of the worst. I mean, this guy did every horrible thing you can imagine and lots of things you couldn't. And Paul's writing to these, these people. And from a human perspective, from a Roman perspective, you can say, man, my city is going down the toilet. I mean, Rome was about to be burned to the ground in a few years. From a Roman citizen perspective, you can get really worried. But then I started thinking, but you know what? They're not just Roman citizens. They are citizens of heaven they're members of the body of christ amen and that's their eternal identity that's their identity that's going to last forever their identity in uh, as a roman citizen might have only lasted them for 20 years 30 years 40 years but their identity as citizens of heaven as members of the body of christ that's forever and so just as rome collapsed and the roman empire is long gone right it, it collapsed hundreds and hundreds of years ago but now the church has grown and the church is forever and so so yeah, Rome is losing, but the church is winning. And I think even if America loses, Christ has the victory. He has overcome the world and he is, he is in us and we are in him. And so we share that victory with him eternally. So that's when I focus on that, I, I'm hopeful. When I focus on the world and put my trust in politicians, then I, I get depressed.
Yeah. No, no, I love that because once we start putting our focus on, on eternal things and not temporal, like Paul says in Colossians three, one and two, that if you're uh, risen with Christ then seek things that are above and not things here on earth. Mm-hmm. And then when we understand that heaven is our home, well, temporarily until the new heaven and new earth come back down. But we realize that this place isn't our eternity right here and now, if you will, yeah. you know, it should give us the motivation to reach people, to tell people, to speak to people and then find our assurance, not in politicians or Washington, obviously, but in Christ. And Absolutely. So Absolutely. Really like Paul ta- yeah. Paul talked about, you know, walking by faith, not by sight. And mm-hmm. it's not that we're denying what we see. I mean, right. we have sense knowledge and God has given us the senses and what we see is, is true. It's valid, but it just doesn't have the last word on your life. The last word that should be had on your life is revelation knowledge that this world is passing away and a new one is coming. And if you believed in Jesus, you are going to be there forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. And so revelation knowledge, God's revelation, his promises should have the last word on your life. And you walk according to those, Mm -hmm. not according to what you see. And that's a very, that's a hard change of perspective. That's a jump in maturity that most Christians, you know, we're we're all struggling to get there, but it's, uh, it's not easy to walk by faith. No, I, I really believe it's, it's not easy, especially, especially when your boots on the ground and you're in the middle of those fires and Nero wants to pin the whole city burning on, on you when he yes. started it. But I look at the fact like we got TV shows like Disney FX putting out that uh, little demon TV show. I don't know if you heard saw about that. that. I heard about that. Yeah. And so a whole premise of Satan impregnating a woman and the woman giving birth to the Antichrist. And it's a 13 year old cartoon, uh, a girl who's trying to find her identity and, and connect with society and, and all this. Yeah. And yeah, stuff like that. That's, that's obviously, you know, a blasphemy, abomination and completely yeah. against Christ. But then the more I read scripture, the more I read this stuff is going to happen. It is. So like I tell people, some of this is seeing prophecy continually being fulfilled, too. Yeah. And and actually, I kind of, uh, in a weird way, I appreciate when they do stuff like that because it's so upfront. It's just so easy to say no. Like, yeah, no, thank you. It's it's easy to stand it's in true. the gap when it's just so horrible. It's a little trickier when it's like really subtle and you're like, oh, it's just one episode, just something, one little thing in one episode. Yeah. No, we're going to do this whole show about Satan. It's like, okay, sorry. You're totally right because... <laughs> like, we were we were actually trying to figure out, okay, our daughter loves Disney Plus, you know, and she likes all the old movies. Yeah. But once that came out, we were like, even she, she was like, nope, we're done. And so we finally cut the cord with Disney because of that. So yeah, I absolutely. agree with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've, 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 yeah, we've cut the cord with, well, we did it with Netflix and we did it with Disney and we're, we're just barely hanging on to a couple other, yeah. a couple other things. I, we're actually moving towards doing just DVDs for our kids. It's like, okay, these are pre-approved DVDs, throw them into the DVD player. You can do that. And, but all this other stuff, it's just so blatant now. Even yeah. my wife and I, we've just stopped. We're just crossing off shows more and more and more shows. And yep. I, I thank the culture for making it easy to, to be separated like that. <laughs> Yes, no, definitely. There's like two shows we recycle series, but yeah. I do have to ask though, I didn't ask you this in the beginning. You said you were originally from Canada. Are you a hockey fan? I you know, I, I have to say I I, I love the Montreal Canadiens. Uh mm-hmm. that's the only team that I, I will root for. Yeah, uh, are you a hockey fan? I am. I'm a Nashville fan, grew up in Washington, so pre- uh capitals are my second. Uh, okay, all right, very good. I oh. kind of feel like sports are like polytheism. You know, in the ancient world, you just worshiped whatever whatever gods of the city there were and Around i kind of feel i feel i feel a lot of pressure about okay i need to i need to follow the stars because this is these are the gods of this city 
but uh, no, I, I I just can't let go of the of no, the, you uh, can't. the Habs. I hate, yeah, I hate the Dallas Stars. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask you about the Cowboys, but anyway, <laughs> getting back on topic, uh, I did want to ask you a question. Uh, a uh, buddy of mine, Ken, I'm sure you know Ken McClure out there. Yeah. And he asked the question about this the other day. And when he asked it, I started thinking, yeah, a lot of people confuse the word salvation or or uh, uh, judgment, fire, stuff like that. Not judgment, but fire, disciples. And they want to believe that the word carries the same meaning every time it's used. Right. Now, I've understood that within apologetic circle as the fallacy of equivocation, but within theology circles, I've understood it to be illegitimate totality transfer. And okay. So could you explain a little bit about that? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And and how can we see whether words do or do not carry the same meaning across the spectrum? Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, so for illegitimate totality transfer, I mean, if, people have never heard that term before we're all familiar with the dictionary right and we all know that words have more than one meaning and dictionaries just list all the meanings right so for example for the word dead you know dead can mean lifeless but if a comedian tries to get a, a room of people to laugh and they're not he might say oh this room is dead yeah it means means they're not they're not really engaged with him or you can say man my phone is dead that doesn't mean like the soul has left the phone it means like it's not working anymore or unless you got an apple apples are soulless you know apple <laughs> forbidden fruit icon but anyways that's right that's right all the that's an interesting iconography isn't it <laughs> um or you can say something like you know um uh, Latin is a dead language, meaning people just don't use it anymore. Um, so illegitimate totality transfer would would be to say you take every single one of those definitions. And when you look at a sentence and you see the word dead in it, you say you say that word dead means every single one of these definitions at the same time. Mm. And people do that with you might think to yourself, whoever does that? I, I see people do that with salvation all the time. I was just listening to a uh, prosperity preacher the other day rightfully say he rightfully said that the word for salvation sozo uh, or 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 the word for save sozo mm -hmm. um, has all of these possible meanings but he he went to ephesians 2 8 and 9 by grace you are saved mm -hmm. and he said saved means you can be delivered from healing uh, delivered from sicknesses you can be delivered from poverty you can be delivered from all these things and so he just imported every single definition of saved into that one use in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Oh, okay. So that's illegitimate totality transfer. What you should do is, out of all the definitions, figure out what the author meant in that mm. one use. So that's what that is. Um, and you said so, the other one was fallacy of... Yeah, do you have any questions about that? Yeah, or? so with the illegitimate totality transfer, say, for instance, uh, with that aspect that they're really trying to draw an interpretation sort of say like four different interpretations off of one verse. And they're trying to just yeah. make it fit a broad spectrum of things. Yeah. 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 And so that's just not, you don't ever want to do that. Now, sometimes an author, you know, writes, uh, he uses a play on words and he, he wants to mean two different things. I yeah. think John probably does that with, uh, um, when Jesus is talking about being born again, it, mm. the word can also mean born from above. Uh, and he might mean both, you know, there, there are times when you, you're, you're intentionally trying to evoke both okay. definitions, but yeah. that has to be clear from the context. So you always want to read, you know, reading the Bible is like reading anything else. You, you want to get to the author's intention and you don't want to impose a meaning, meaning the author never intended on the text. So 
uh, illegitimate totality transfer is one way to do that. I mean, with, with that, I've been watching a lot of debates lately, uh, whether it's how to best exegete, you know, Matthew 7, James 2, whatever the case is. And it's amazing how many people will go to Matthew 7, ignore the dispensation, ignore mm. who was a false prophet mm. and say that the fruits of a false prophet is whether or not they have good works to prove they're saved or whatever the case is, is, right. is understanding the context in the really the historical grammatical literal understand is that really only a dispensational thing i know this isn't something we talked about before but it seems like uh many people maybe even the reformed persuasion they ignore reading it like any other body of literature in its yes. original understanding why is yeah. that I, I i don't know i think i think we have this inheritance from the medieval church the the reformers definitely had mm -hmm. let, let me let me say it again Reading the Bible is no different from reading a text message or a catalog or a, a Hallmark Valentine's Day card. Right. You want to always just try to understand what the author meant. Mm -hmm. And you do that by bringing in historical context and language and grammar and all those things. Yeah. Um, but in the medieval church, what happened was uh, people like Origen of Alexandria and other and uh, those following him wanted to find like a deeper spiritual meaning of the of the text and they came up with rules mm -hmm. for finding spiritual meanings in the text and to some extent what they were doing was it, it wasn't terrible i mean the bible does use uh symbols like mm -hmm. oil for the holy spirit and stuff right. like that mm -hmm. so there is some of that but they wanted to do it for everything and so what happened was they were drawing lessons that i think were never meant to be drawn from the text and i think reformers i mean not everyone i don't want to paint everyone with, this, right, with a yeah. broad brush but it can happen that people just take a proof text that they've already they already think they understand what that is and they're just going to say this is what it means not even looking at the context or trying to understand right. it differently. They're like, my, this is how my grandfather understood it. So this is what this text says. And I'm like, I don't need to read everything else because I've, I've been told what this means. Yeah, it, it's amazing to me because I was just watching a debate about uh, somebody talking about when uh, the religious leadership, I think it was the Sadducees or the Pharisees, went to John the Baptist baptisms in, at, at the Jordan River. And they're saying that they wanted to go there to be baptized and understanding this from a jewish perspective and dr arnold fruitbaum and how he talks about the investigation of messiah anybody that claimed mm -hmm. to be a messiah and their arrival at the jordan river with john the baptist was sort of investigating john to see if he was claiming to be the messiah it was like nothing in there says that they were trying to be baptized by john the baptist they didn't even like john the baptist mm -hmm. you know and so I, it just seems like there's a lot of thoughts, theology and philosophy, like you were saying, uh, just symbolism that's inserted into the text that I, I don't know. It's just always baffled me. I mean, but, it's not easy. It's not easy. It, it, you need to be a diligent student of the word. And I think that I think the basic points of scripture are easy. I mean, if you want to know how to be born again, I mean, Jesus just tells you over and over and over again, right. very clearly. So does Paul. But then there are, you know, there are there are trickier kind of issues that come out in the text, and we wrestle with those. And um, before we started recording, we were we were talking about uh, just the benefit of being able to discuss and debate the Bible yeah. openly and wrestle with with these things. So. I don't think people should be afraid of wrestling with the text and and just admitting, man, I, I don't understand this, but I, I want to. So let's let's dig into it. Amen. So talking about wrestling with stuff, and I think sometimes people wrestle with this term. It seems like a very basic term, uh, eternal life. 
Yeah. Can you explain what what is eternal life? How does one get it? And it does it yeah. start now, then? Can you just elaborate yeah. on it? Okay, yeah, I, I, I can do that. Um, maybe I can start off by saying that um, eternal life in its most most basic meaning mm-hmm. um, it is is it means you, your life is going to continue after death. It's going to continue forever and ever and ever. And if I can take someone to a verse, I, I would take them probably to John, um, John 11, 25 to 26, where Jesus is talking to Martha and he's, yep. and he's saying, if you believe in me, even though you die, you will live because mm-hmm. he, he's going to give you resurrection life and you're going to keep on, keep on living into the messianic age, which is forever. All right. Um, I would also say though, that there's a quality to eternal life. And I think that's already implied that you're going to be living in the messianic age in that perfect right. age forever and ever. So it's your, your life is already going to be abundant. It's all, it's going to be uh, full of God. It's going to be amazing in ways that it's hard for us to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus talked about eternal life in terms of knowing, kn- knowing the father. So there's that intimacy. I mean, yeah. of, of God just kind of fulfilling every desire that he's designed you with, and then just becoming more human than you've ever been in, in knowing right. the father. Okay. So you have like duration, you have quality. And I, I'd also say that um, it's a promise it's a promise that that he gives us in first john 225 this is this is what he's promised us eternal life and so the question is well how do you how do you receive a promise how do you receive a promise do you work for it you just believe the promiser and uh if you read through john especially the first 12 chapters you will see jesus promise again and again and again everyone knows john 316 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have present tense everlasting life so that answers your question when does it start it starts the second you believe the moment you believe that subjective that's um that conditional promise becomes true of you you get born again in your spirit you're given everlasting life and uh, so that's when it starts and um some people kind of quibble over the term between eternal life and everlasting life i think everlasting everlasting might be a better better um a better translation because it's it's everlasting going forward but eternal kind of means like it's always been there okay. and you you haven't always had eternal life you have it the moment you believe and then it's everlasting from that moment on i i could see the art you know the discussion there i i think you know even sometimes our english words you know ruin it like i was just yeah. uh in an interview the other day and and they asked me about repentance and so yeah i i, I do believe repentant metanoia change of mind aspect Mm -hmm. but we when we think of it in our english vernacular as of today not in the greek you know repentance does have like a a change of action type deal so i really wanted to speak on both sides of it but knowing from scripture uh really for salvation it's only metanoia change your mind uh upon messiah and our us but i really appreciated that and the discussion between eternal versus everlasting because yeah everlasting does look like forward eternal is right. sort of both ends right and so god is eternal but our our life is everlasting but that's picky i mean you know right. that's not yeah. something i'm going to explain to my my son or to my grandmother that's just between us you know theologians you know yeah. we're, we're being picky with the language being a little more precise there's so, you know some benefit to that so how many angels can stand on the head of a pin <laughs> 
So they're too busy doing other things. Is that what it is? <laughs> I do want to ask you, okay, so we talked about eternal life. You made the mention that eternal life is at the moment someone believes the promiser yeah. and it's for eternally, you know, you have mm -hmm. life eternally. So once saved, always save. It's typically a knock against free grace positions and they want to say antinomian and licentiousness, stuff like this. But yeah. what do you, what would you argue are the three strongest, uh, proofs if you will of eternal security of the believer yeah oh that's a, yeah that was that's a good question and i think i think i might want to answer that in terms of maybe three different people who's if i can imagine three different people struggling with this promise mm -hmm. um maybe the first person i can imagine is someone who really thinks they need to earn they need to earn it okay they need to earn this thing and they can't believe that it it's it could be a gift that's forever. Mm -hmm. And to that person, I would turn them to Galatians uh, 2.16. And if anyone listening, you, sh you should go there and just highlight that verse in your Bible. Because Paul just kind of exhausts human language to make the point. Well, to make this point, let me read it for you. Um, we know that a person is justified, not by works of the law, but through faith. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. So three times Paul says we're justified by faith, and three times he says it's not by works. And so someone who's kind of like in insecure about their performance, I would say to you, listen, you are justified. God regards you as righteous, mm -hmm. totally apart from what you do completely apart from what you do there's nothing you can do to earn justification and therefore there's nothing you can do to lose it there's there's no standard you're going to fail to meet to, and then lose it you can't yeah. you, you already in a sense you already showed that you never deserve justification and god just gave it to you anyway simply by believing in him totally apart from your works um but then i can imagine another person's wondering like just being fearful about okay okay i get it i'm justified by faith apart from works now um and i get it, i'm not going to be a perfect person to earn it later but what if i do something really bad what if i what if i just totally fall off the fall off the wagon fall off the horse and i just i just um do a really big sin i know god can handle little sins most people can most people understand you know god can handle little sins but what if what if i did a really big one what would happen then? Uh, and to those people, I would turn them to Colossians, Colossians 2.13. And um, that's another verse that you should definitely highlight in your Bibles. And um, what he says is, and when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, made you alive, it's eternal life. Uh, when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood us stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. And I, I just love that that verse. He forgave us all your trespasses. I, I personally believe that is all your sins. All your sins are forgiven in Christ. You're totally re reckoned as righteous, and in Christ, you're totally forgiven all your sins. I think there might be a, another category of fellowship forgiveness sins that you see in first John possibly, but um, all your sins past, present, and future are already forgiven. So if you're, if you're worried about committing big sins in the future, guess what? You probably are going to sin until you die. And those are already, those are already forgiven. So it's, don't let that scare you. Um, 
And then for the third person, for a, a visual learner, I would go to John uh, 10, 28 and 29. And this is this is this is the example I use with with kids, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyone who's a visual learner, I'll take a I'll take a coin and I'll say, you know, Jesus said, once you believe you're in his hand and yeah. you're in the father's hand and no one can ever snatch you out of either hand. Yeah. Uh, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never means never. Yep. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one means no one. What my father uh, has given me is greater than all else and no one can snatch it out of the father's hand. And so I take a coin and I'll, I'll, I'll hold it and I'll just ask a little kid, all right, try to take this out of my hand. And this works better with little kids, <laughs> not, <laughs> <Yeah>. not teenagers, <laughs> but I'm like, try to take it out of my hand and they'll try and they won't be able to able to do it well that's that's jesus hand and then i'll i'll put my second hand on it and i'll be now try and then the kid knows well i yeah. definitely can't yeah. and i said that's what that's what you are in jesus you're in his hand you're in the father's hand there's no one taking you out of his hand and some people might say yeah but what if uh what if you jump out and i was like this coin is not jumping out yeah. <laughs> he's he's greater than everyone including you and so no one including you is taking you out of his hands and so i don't know but maybe those are three there's lots of passages i think that support eternal security but maybe those are three different passages for three different kinds of people you know i love that illustration you just pulled up because i never really thought about it because a lot of times when we think of okay you know you're in the father's hand you know a lot of times you know someone will think of like an open palm right yeah that's right that's right and so okay yeah okay what if someone could but it but if you think about it like our salvation is secure and yes. god has us then God's yes. wrapped us around and then dwelling of the Holy Spirit is that covering, if you will. Uh -huh. And that even if we tried, we couldn't jump out of his grip. And so yeah, I like absolutely. that. I never yeah. heard or saw that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. And, you know, uh, another way to think of it is um, all the nevers that Jesus, all the nevers oh, yeah. statements that Jesus made, you know, never perish, never come into judgment, never die, never be condemned. And it's just, oh, those are all, those are all the fingers holding. There you go. Secure, yeah. you know, definitely. No, I love that. So I'm thankful for that illustration, that symbolism, if you will. Uh, okay. So you talked about three good reasons as far as trusting in the eternal security aspect. Now this is yeah. one uh, without fail. If you ever watch any debate between a free grace or lordship, Calvinist, Arminia, whatever the case is, then this question is inevitably going to come up. And within Christian apologetics, I try to get familiar with those very tough questions, such as yeah. like the omnipotence paradox. Can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it type deal? How do you answer right. that? If God created everything, who created God? Right. This is one of those within free grace theology that seems to be one of the harder questions for some people to uh, understand. So say you have a Christian. Yeah. Uh, say I got saved today, right? I got saved. I have eternal life. And say... Something happens five years down the road. I re recant from my faith. I not only become a murderer, but I become a Satanist, a full-blown oh. temple of Satan, Satanist. Oh, man. Uh, what what would you say to those people that say, see, either he lost his salvation or he was never really saved or he never got final salvation? What would right. you say? Hmm. That's a yeah, that's, very big that's hypothetical, but. Yeah, that is, that is, that's a hypothetical. Yeah, that's a big hypothetical. Um. I would say the never was saved in the first place answer uh, right from the get go. I, I, I'd say that ne that has never made sense to me because it's like, okay, if I if I have um, if I change my mind about something, let's say, um, you know, 
I, I didn't believe in free market economics, but now I do. Uh -huh. uh, maybe I believed in socialism before, but now I believe in free market economics. Um, you can't say, oh, but you never, you never believe that first thing before. That, that doesn't make any, you change, everyone changes their mind all the time. So it's yeah. like, you know, people can change their mind about Jesus and that doesn't nullify the fact that they did believe in him. Yeah. Um, but I would say this to someone in that extreme of a situation, someone uh -huh. stops believing or they stop believing in Jesus and they start believing in something else, even Satan or Allah yeah. or whatever it is. I would say God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than that. God's grace will abound over your sin, no matter what that sin is. And if your sin is idolatry, God's grace abounds even over that. You are forgiven that. You're forgiven of all your sins. And even though you change your belief, you're still justified. You're still clothed in Christ. And still no one is taking you out of that hand, not even the, the idol that you might be worshiping. And people might think that that's, that's can't be, that's, 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 uh, that's too good to be true. But I really think the good news is almost too good to be true news. It was just mm. the rare word that people used yeah. for extremely good news. And I think the good news is, is really that the bottom line is when God gives you the new birth, he does not abort you. Okay. When God adopts you as his child, he doesn't kick you out of the house. When God clothes you with his righteousness, he doesn't take that back. What he sees is his son's righteousness because Christ's work is complete and it covers any sin that you might have. And, um, that's an extreme case, uh, yeah. but uh, I think God's grace is greater than even the, ex the extreme case. So take Matt Dillahunty, who's, uh, professed to be saved earlier in life. And now he is a, uh, an advocate for atheism. And I forget his show, whether it's the atheist experience or something like that. Uh, he's still saved, you know, and he's totally against God. Uh, would there be any sort of chastisement any sort of consequence that god yeah. could bring or, or what, what would oh, yeah. that look like because a lot yeah. of times people will be like oh you free gracers you believe they can do this and there's no repercussions you know sin and yeah. win type deal so yeah. what's the negative yeah, yeah. side of it oh i'm so glad you brought that up because actually my my next big book is is going to be about this and it's called uh it's going to be called free to fail free to fail uh, what eternally secure believers can lose through sin. And um, I find that a lot of people challenge once saved, always saved or eternal security by bringing up these warning passages. And they just kind of assume that every single warning is the equivalent of going to hell when you die. And they, they miss, they miss all of the, the temporal consequences for, and by temporal, I mean like this life negative consequences for sin that yeah. you can experience. And um, I think for I think for believers, we experience uh, tribulation from the world for 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 what we do, for the good that we do. We're persecuted, but if we do wrong, so so tribulation comes from being good. Okay, but when we do wrong, what we receive from the Lord is paideia child training we get spanked oh, okay. by the lord okay so we get all the things that we all the consequences that we've just put on ourselves mm -hmm. like if i uh if i get drunk and i drive my car and i crash into crash into a, a pole i brought those consequences on myself and so right. sin has all of those consequences um but it also has paideia it also has child training chastisement god is going to spank his children you know and he will get your attention and so if you've walked away from him he will, uh, he will, he will spank you in order to bring you back, not to punish you. I think it's, it's to yeah. restore you. 
Same thing with church discipline. Mm -hmm. You deliver someone over to Satan, quote unquote, uh, for the destruction of the flesh so that they may be restored, so that they may be saved. So it's not, it's never, I want to see you suffer. It's I want to see you come back into fellowship. And so God will send all kinds of of negative consequences into your life. A lot of them are self-imposed because, I mean, you and I know, we, everyone knows what happens to a, a, like a televangelist who falls into sin. Do they get away scot-free with their sin? I mean, what are the, some of the things that they could lose their ministry, their marriages, their relationship with their children, their reputation, their finances, maybe their freedom. They can end up in prison. There's a lot that you can lose. And I I don't think people really understand, understand that they always go straight to, well, you're going to go to hell. This must mean you're going to hell when you die. It's like, no, there's lots of, lots of punishments and disciplines and negative consequences you can experience. No, I definitely agree. You brought it up and everything. Is there anything else uh, as far as the book Free to Fail that you're talking about, uh, that you're working on? What led you to write it and what else is really in it? What what can all the Christian lose? You brought it up, so I want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a, uh, I wrote a book called Chosen to Serve and it was, uh, I wanted to write a book responding to each of the, not responding to each of the five points of Calvinism, but giving, because there's a lot of critiques out there of those five points, what I wanted to do was present the, the biblical alternative. You know, I didn't want to just say what's wrong. I wanted to say what's right. Okay. And so in my book, Chosen to Serve, uh, which you can get on Amazon or at faithalone.org, um, I try to present the what I think is the biblical view of election, which is to service, not, not to salvation. Right. Uh, the last two Ps in Tulip have to do with irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints. And some people call some people say it's preservation of the saints depends on the Calvinist and free to fail is about those last two letters. Mm -hmm. Is grace really irresistible? I mean, does God just cause you, uh, uh, cause you to accept him, cause you to do this, that, and the other thing. And does God guarantee that if you're born again, you're going to keep on living a good life, mostly good life. Mm. I think Calvinists allow for small slip ups, but they don't allow for big slip ups. Otherwise they say you were never saved to begin with. Right. And so I'm just going to, in that book, I'm going to show the believer is eternally secure. I think mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a couple dozen passages that can, sh- that can show that, mm-hmm. but then I'm going to show everything that you can lose. I mean, we're called to grow in spiritual maturity. We're, we're called to bring forth fruit. You mm-hmm. can lose all of that. You know, you can lose those positive potentiality, mm-hmm. but you can also incur all this negative potentiality, like going to prison, losing your ministry, all that kind of stuff. So it's going to explore that, that, that whole gamut of, of, of questions. I think that's an excellent idea because that's one thing that, uh, as far as within free grace, we need to do a little, I'm not going to say a better job, but, uh, do a little more promoting of that type of tenant or teaching within free grace, because if people keep saying that free grace is antinomian and free grace teaches a license to sin and live how you, however you want. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. It, you do have eternal security and, but we need to be better at articulating, okay, what are the ramifications of living like that? Yeah, absolutely. We can't like, we are not an antinomian movement. And mm-hmm. if people aren't familiar with that term, um, it it had a specific meaning in the in the 17th and 16th centuries but today it just means like oh you're just saying you can just sin all you want and uh and get away with it and that is not that is not our view at all i mean just read any commentary by a free grace person and and you'll there's a huge emphasis on god's 
temporal judgment. That's God's judgment in this life, uh, as well as in all the natural consequences that flow from sin. And that's that's actually pretty big in the free grace movement. But it's you're right. It's not widely known because no. we're just trying to get people to believe in Jesus for everlasting life. You know, it's like right. almost like you never get to that that second point with a person because they just can't accept that right. it could really be by faith apart from works. Yeah, you so there's a lot of great commentaries out there address it, and there's a lot of uh, uh, books as a whole that talks about free grace theology as a whole. But I don't, I mean, you obviously, it looks like you got a lot more books in your background than I got here. So <laughs> you probably know a lot more books that actually are devoted strictly to that topic as opposed yeah. to just commentaries. Like to that topic? I, mm -hmm. I don't think so. There is one, and I'd highly recommend it. It's by uh, RB Theme. And it's called reversionism and you can get it free from um, they'll send you a free physical copy at the um, RB theme Bible ministries. I think if you Google that and um, the problem with, with theme, if I can call this a problem is he has mm -hmm. such a unique vocabulary, He kind of developed his own theological vocabulary that most people, when they read it, it's just, <laughs> they just don't understand what's, what's going on. And yeah. I prefer to read, I prefer to write for my grandmother. I prefer to write for my sister. Mm -hmm. I want, I want regular people to understand what I'm saying. So I think my book is going to fill a niche that's, that hasn't been filled yet. That's excellent. I, uh, I can't not talk to you and not bring up scripture. And so there's sure. two passages I want to bring up real quick. One of them is in second Peter, second right. Peter chapter two verses 20 and 21 now i like the king james so i'm just gonna read it out of that and then whatever you use that's perfectly fine but i'd like for to get your understanding and explanation because again watching a lot of debates these people will go ahead and my oh, king okay. james no you're fine you can use whatever you'd like that's <laughs> fine but uh a lot of times people will use this and argue against one's eternal security okay and so i'd like to pick your brain as far as uh what your thoughts on it so in second peter chapter 2 verse 20 and 21 uh, peter writes for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ they are again entangled therein and overcome mm. the latter end is worse with them than the beginning for yeah. it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them and then he talks about the dog returning to its vomit oh yeah yeah, so a lot of that's... times they'll bring that up, like, see, Christian either never had it, lose it, whatever the case. What What would you yeah, say? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting verse. I don't think it it says anything about losing your salvation, but it is it is an interesting verse. When I, when I read Second Peter, I see that um, he's concerned about his readers uh, growing growing in the faith as opposed to being seduced by false teachers that's that's what i see there so when i go to like verse um when i go to verse four chapter one verse four he talks about um whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. so they've escaped it yeah. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And he adds all these, right. these things. He wants them to grow. But then he starts he starts uh, warning about false teachers in mm -hmm. chapter two. And I think that's really, that's the situation now. So it's the false teachers versus the believers who have escaped corruption in the world. Mm -hmm. And look at verse, look at verse um, 
18 in chapter two. Mm -hmm. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, he's talking about the false teachers, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Mm -hmm. But now look at verse 19. There's two pronouns. Uh While they promise them liberty. Mm. The question is, who's the they, who's the them? I think they are the false teachers Mm -hmm. and the them are the the Christians, the believers who are at risk of being seduced. And um, they themselves are the servants of corruption. So the false teachers are, they're already slaves of sin, you Mm -hmm. might say. Uh, And they want the believers to be that way. For if whom a man is overcome of the same as, as he brought in bondage. That's just the principle that, you know, Paul talks about this in Romans, whoever you present yourself as a slave to, you become that person's slave. But then in verse 20, I think he's not talking about the false teachers anymore. Now he's talking about the them, the Christians who are at risk of being seduced by the false teachers. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. I think all that Peter is saying is he can envision Christians becoming seduced by the false teachers and just getting right back into right back into bondage. Mm -hmm. And um, that is I think that's a possibility. I think a Calvinist who believes in the perseverance of the saints would say impossible christians can never fail that way once you're being sanctified god causes you to be sanctified right Mm -hmm. up until the end of your life but in the free grace view sanctification is conditional you can get tricked you can get confused you can get duped and you can get re-entangled in the sins that you've already been kind of that you have already escaped from and i think peter is saying when that happens it's almost better i think he's being proverbial there i think he's he's offering He's, he's kind of, he's saying it's, it's better if you had never even known the way of, doesn't he call it the way of righteousness have known yes, the way, the way uh, yeah, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness mm-hmm. than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So he's talking about ethical living. He's talking about righteous living. Mm-hmm. He says, if, if you're going to go back into the muck, if you're going to go back into slavery to sin, it's almost, it's almost better if you hadn't hadn't even known that life because the fall, I think this is his point. Mm. The fall is worse than to have never having, having fallen before. I, I, if I can use an illustration, yep. what's, what's worse, just living a lower middle-class life or living a m- lower middle-class life, becoming a billionaire for several years, and then just losing your entire wealth right. and just going back into poverty. What's what it's almost like knowing what you've lost makes it worse. And I, I think that might be his point. What, what do you, what would you say? I mean, you're making me bring out a pen real quick. Cause I want to make a, make a note because as you said that, as you said that, and you brought up your illustration and you brought up the fact of living a great life one way, gaining accolades and then falling. I couldn't help but think of the prodigal son. Oh Yeah. You know, and so would you look at that possibly being like an illustration of like the prodigal son who lived a great life with the father and he was in the family. Then he got his inheritance, squandered it, false teachers, false teaching. And then now he's looking back. He's like, I just had everything. Now I'm just I'm living like the pigs. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Make make a note. Absolutely. Or or think maybe another illustration would be, you know, 
when when you're when you're married and you cheat on your wife and you you lose everything and you look back and you think to yourself oh you look back to everything that you've lost and just yeah. the regret and the shame that you feel and it's almost like better if if you had never been married before because you, mm. you you wouldn't have experienced that that loss and that shame and that that I don't know. I think that's what he's saying. For sure, there is nothing in there that says you're going to hell. He doesn't mention it. He doesn't mention losing eternal life. None of that is in yeah. that verse. Um, but I think we can all understand it when a, when a believer falls in that way and goes back to our old ways of living after having known the way of righteousness. It's yeah. the fall is terrible. The experience of that loss is 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 to be avoided, and that's what Peter wants for his people. Avoid that. No, I I really like that. A lot of times people will build a theology around one verse or one obscure thought or interpretation, yeah. and, and they're going to ignore all the other passages that clearly articulate soteriology. So if salvation is free, but yes. yet you got one obscure verse that may lean one way, they're going to say, yeah. okay, it's not free, and it yes. doesn't make sense. That is a great point, and uh, I, I'm sure your viewers know this, but um, that is a great point. Base your faith on the clear passages um uh, bob wilkin has a book called uh, 100 faith alone verses and he, he literally goes through 100 verses that show that <laughs> salvation is by faith apart from words it could not be clear i highly recommend that book and uh, that's clear yeah second peter 2 20 21 is 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 not the evidence that that yeah. can that can topple those hundred verses it's just too unclear so if if you've been brought to that point i think a, just being a good bible student means okay maybe i don't understand this obscure verse if i think yeah. that it's gonna topple the evidence of these hundred verses totally right uh speaking of verses let's go over to first john or first john real quick first john okay first john chapter two and so again uh could you explain the charge where if some people say you have eternal security, how do you answer first John chapter two, verse 23, where it says, uh, whosoever denieth the son, the same hath not the father, but he that oh, acknowledges yeah. the son has father also. So if you deny the son, you have not the father. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. What, what translation do you mainly use? New American standard? Uh, yeah, I use numer. I I use a bunch bunch of different ones. I'm kind okay. of in I'm in a transition mode, but I I will okay. say I haven't used the King James in a while. Uh -huh. uh, I, I used know. to do. <laughs> I used New to do American standard say about the same thing in that verse. Yeah, too? It, it probably okay. does. Yeah. Um, I would say this. So for me, the key word is is half or have. You know, what does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. Because what I hear, what I hear you saying, or maybe what I what I hear a potential objector saying is, well, if you don't have the Father, that must mean you don't have salvation. Mm -hmm. And so my first question is, well, what would having the Father mean in the context of First John? Is is it equivalent to salvation, or could it mean something else? Right. Um, know what I think about? I think about um, the Levites. Do you remember what God said to the Levites when He was? handing out land to all the other tribes. Do you remember what yeah. he said to them? Their part wasn't their part of the lot going to be really him and that all the tithes were going to go to them since they didn't have the land yes. either. God said, I'm your inheritance. Mm -hmm. Now, what was God saying there? He wasn't saying that you're saved and the rest of the people aren't right. saved. He's saying you're going to have a special relationship with me, you mm -hmm. know, distinct from the other tribes. And I wonder if that's all that John is saying here. If you're denying the Christ, then you're not going to, you're not going to have the father in the sense that he's 
he's already laid out at the beginning of the epistle where he says his big concern is for his readers to have fellowship with him, uh, with, with, with him, but also with the father in first John chapter one, verse three, it says that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. It sounds like John, first John is about enjoying something beyond being born again. Mm -hmm. It's about enjoying fellowship. It's about having fullness of joy. Yeah. And I noticed, I noticed that theme in the verse right after the one that you quoted. Yeah. Cause look what he says in verse 24, mm -hmm. let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning, if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. Um, it sounds like abiding is the issue that he's thinking about. And it sounds like there's a double abiding. If, if the word abides in you, then you're going to remain or abide in the Father. And so yeah. I would say the having there is probably a fellowship having and abiding having and so if you're denying jesus then you're not, you're obviously not going to enjoy that deeper fellowship that intimacy that first john is all about if if i understand that epistle uh rightly right i like that because i actually i have a note here that i made in my bible that uh <clears throat> for my studies abide was used 24 times in five chapters mm. the greek word for abide yeah and yeah it does look like that the whole theme of first john writing to Christ christians is how, how to abide in fellowship yes. how to remain in fellowship yeah and it's interesting because the verse doesn't say if you deny the christ you don't have the holy spirit uh. because the holy spirit's indwelt you know he says right. you don't have the father and, right. and and i think that's an aspect of fellowship like you clearly articulated i appreciate your exegete on that and the thing i love about this verse this passage and the one before that you just talked about, you spent time exegeting the verse. You didn't bring up thought or philosophy or what right. so-and-so said. Right. You looked at the verse, you tried to understand it from its context and the words and the pronouns to get the understanding of the meaning. And so I appreciate that of actually exegeting that passage. Yeah. I, you know, I think, thanks for mentioning that. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but, um, uh, I remember the very the very first Sunday school for uh, adults, older older adults that I taught. Uh -huh. and I taught it for a couple of years. And the first few classes, I, I, well, we, we were doing Southern Baptist materials at the beginning. And then I, I decided to put those aside and we're just going to go through the Gospel of John. Uh -huh. And I, I would ask them questions about the text. And the, the people in that class, initially, they would just start if I asked a question about the text, they just kind of give their opinion and their, their opinions were coming all over the place. And I kept on having to say, no, 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 that's interesting. But what does the text say? What does, yeah. the, what does Jesus promise us? Oh, we'll go to heaven when we die. Well, that may be true, but what does the text say? Oh, he promises us eternal life. And it takes a lot of training for people just to yeah. answer questions from the text by going to the text. I mean, yeah. it's a skill you have to learn. Um, and we're not typically taught that, you know, in, in our Sunday schools, in our small groups. You're completely right. I just heard uh, a guy taught at our church last night and brought out the point that more people read books than they do read the Bible. So they're getting their theology from books. 
yeah than they are in the scriptures and hey i love books i love books the evidence <laughs> that i love books but if you want answers from the bible you have to actually take the answers from the text and so yeah. and it's 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 easier not to it's easier people always people uh, i think one of the easiest questions that people have to answer is like what's your experience in small groups all of these in the Southern Baptist materials, especially, it was always, how does this make you feel? You know, Jesus, you know, they walked around Jericho 13 times. How does that make you feel? It's like, I don't care how it makes you feel personally. Uh, mm. Feelings are important, but what does the text say? What what right. do you think based on the text? And how does the text change your thinking? So you really need to engage with the check, engage with the text before you engage with your experience or your feelings, I think. I don't know. You brought it up. I'm an analytical guy. I like percentages. I'm going to call you out. What percentage of the books behind you have you read? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or are you like everybody hey. else here? <laughs> so these are theology books. So they are reference books for me. So when I buy a book, it is to answer specific questions. So there might be just one chapter in a book that I've, that I, I bought the book for that one chapter and I yeah. will have read that. So I would say out of all these books, I have read the key chapter out of out of all of them okay. but have i read all of those books no i have not so you're just like all the rest of us Good. I'm yes glad to hear that. Uh, it's hypocrisy <laughs> this is all hypocrisy <laughs> pretending to know things yeah. i just had to ask that all right so rewards i want to talk briefly about rewards okay uh, we recently talked about the crown of life in the book of james and uh, i think it was david dunlap no maybe it was dillo uh reign of servant kings i think it was dillo. oh yeah yeah dillo yeah and I think he really uh, convinced me figurative. What are your thoughts on the crowns? Do you think they're literal figurative? Yeah, I I, I lean more I lean more figurative. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't thinking about James in particular, but I'm just thinking of like a book like the Book of Revelation. There's just mm -hmm. so many there's so many symbols, and so I don't want to take a bullet for for something being literal. Like, is there is there going to be a literal crown on my head? Yeah. I mean, if there is, great. But if I, I would tend to think that maybe that's more symbolic of yeah. of uh, the role that will play or the the authority that will have or, or that kind of thing, rather than reduce it to an actual glittery headpiece. Yeah, I guess I one of the things that really popped in my head reading Dillo is when you get to the crown of rejoicing or the crown of glory, I think it is it. A lot of people call it the soul winner's crown. And then Paul clearly says, for what is our crown? What is our glory? Are not you our glory you know philippians chapter four he says are you right. not crown right so but yeah like you said uh, revelation very symbolic and, and right. stuff like that and so but i, was just I will yeah. yeah i will i will say this though mm -hmm. and i don't know i don't know if the, the people listening maybe there's someone uh watching may have not have heard of this i mean, i believe and I, I i know you believe that jesus is coming back literally physically and he's going to establish a kingdom a physical literal kingdom and I do believe in that kingdom, one of the rewards is uh, we will be ruling, ruling with him. He is yep. going to be the ruler over, over all things, but we're going to be ruling with him. I think that's literal. I think that's actually going to happen. Probably ruling with Christ, though, is might have much more of a servant role than a, right. a big boss, you know, secular government type role. Yeah. Um, but whether or not we're literally going to have crowns on our heads while we're doing that, I I'm right. open to that being symbolic, but right. I do believe the the ruling itself will be will be literal. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I am by no means trying to promote amillennialism or anything. I'm definitely right. a pre-millennial guy. Yeah. And uh, 
definitely a parable of the talents really gives the insight too clearly as far as the ruling and the authority if you will of the kingdoms yeah yeah so this is a question that i mean i know what i believe as far as the answer to this question uh i don't know how common it is shared amongst free grace but i wanted to ask you so at the judgment seat of christ which is for christians the bema seat and then there's also rewards possibility of gaining rewards whatever the case is Do you believe that there will be any regret or remorse for the Christian who lives carnally? And do you believe that uh, Hmm. the marriage supper of the lamb is really invited to every Christian or those that were faithful? What are your thoughts on those aspects? Okay. Um, The shame, the shame aspect or the regret aspect. So we were just in first John chapter two. And if you, If you go down just a a verse or two to verse 28, John says, and now little children abide in him so that when he's revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. Mm -hmm. Um, I take that to mean there is, there can be an experience of of shame. If you're, if you are an unfaithful believer and your life is evaluated, not for salvation, but for rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's possible that you will look back on all the things you could have done and all right. the ways that you disobeyed our Lord. And you would have a moment, you'd have an experience of regret, but I don't think that's going to be an eternal experience of regret. I think that's going to be in the moment when our lives are evaluated um, at the judgment seat of Christ. So I, I think it's temporary. I think okay. that is yeah. a temporary shame and regret. And then the tears are wiped away and then we're just fullness of joy serving the Lord. I think. Yeah. I think. Okay. What do you, what, what's, what's your opinion? I mean, I, I do believe that there's going to be a sense of uh, shame or remorse, uh, especially at the judgment seat of Christ, especially if there's a possibility that Jesus Christ will say to some people, maybe my, I don't know, you know, uh, wicked servant, you know, in uh for not yeah. living the way I should have. I agree that I don't believe it's an eternal feeling. Yeah. But I also, when people bring up the aspect of God will wipe away every tear, I do read that in Revelation 22, 4, which is the new heavens and the new earth. And so I don't know if that wiping away and there's going to be no more sorrow, no more tears is a yeah. new heaven is the eternal order. Mm. Because then I still read in Revelation five i think it is that there's martyrs underneath the throne of god which i think is symbolic but they're they're saying jesus when are you going to avenge our blood so it seems like there's an emotion there uh right no that's a that's a great point so i retract my comment about wiping every tear (laughs) well (laughs) that'll that'll happen that'll happen later i mean i could Um, be wrong i'm just thinking about that aspect too because that's that's great i don't think Um, we're but then again during the millennial kingdom messianic kingdom if unbelievers are going to live a, a life of a hundred years, think Isaiah 60. And then if they don't receive Christ, w- would there be an aspect of grief stricken there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I don't know. No, it's just some, that's a great point. I wish we had, I wish there was verses that would be super clear about those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's fun to, it's fun to think about, or it's fascinating to think about. At least, you some, mentioned, yeah, at least some you, like us, at least. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you mentioned something that I think is probably important to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, you alluded to it. Jesus, you will hear different things. And Jesus mm-hmm. kind of previews some of the things we could hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. But then there's also the, you were a wicked servant. And if yeah. someone heard 
oh man, I was a wicked servant. How can you not feel shame? And shame in that case is, I think would be a healthy response. I mean, you should yeah. feel shame, you know? So it's like, Sometimes a negative response is is a healthy response. Uh, grieving can be very healthy. So um, if anyone's thinking, oh, that doesn't sound right. Well, just remember grieving, grieving can be healthy. Shame is healthy. Shame over things that you should be ashamed of. That's, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a God designed response. So, but is it going to last forever? I, I don't think so. No. I think it'll be wiped away. Right. Yeah. 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 It, it, this would even go back to the question we talked about earlier, as far as the Christian that becomes an atheist, you know, claims to be an atheist. When they get mm. to heaven, they're like, you you were promoting atheism for 25 years, and, and their oh, faith yeah. is going to be sight at that point because they're yes. saved. And that regret, that remorse, that shame is going to allow them how they squandered their life and how valuable Jesus's promise was in their life. Yeah. And so it's really going to bring an area of reconciliation between themselves and, and God. And so yeah, I completely I, agree yeah. with you on that. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a great example. The person who has, especially the person who's apostatized, is going to, they will feel shame, and but God's going to use that shame to maybe create gratitude in them, saying, "Wow, Lord, you were so faithful to me, and I was yep. so unfaithful to you." Yep. And uh, he can, you know, he can do that. He can he can bring good out of our our bad, and he, I think he lets us save face in that way. You know, God by bringing good out of even our our worst situations. He, he shows that, you know what, you don't have to totally, you know, you can look back and even be thankful in a way that, wow, at least yeah. your grace abounded. You know, I, I really messed up, but your grace abounded. Your faithfulness was shown. Your glory was even more evident <laughs> in how you treated me so well when I didn't deserve it. So um, we, we serve an amazing God for sure. Yep. And I can't just help but think of Peter with his three denials and the look that Jesus looked back on him. But yet after that, he got, tells Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, yes. you know? And so definitely, I, I appreciate that. Uh, the la last question really I had was, I, we mentioned briefly your book, Beyond Doubt. Yeah. Uh, being Assurance of Salvation. Like I said, that was influential, very critical in my early life. Uh, could you, what led you to write that book? And can you give like a synopsis of the book? And for anybody that's battling with assurance, uh, what yes. the book would offer? Yes. Uh, um, I forget when I wrote it, um, maybe, I don't know, five years ago or six years ago. Mm -hmm. it, it's about, yeah, it's about getting beyond doubt. So many people just aren't sure that they believe in Jesus in a way they believe in God in a sense, they understand the gospel, but they're not sure how it applies to them. Yeah. And some days they believe they're going to go to heaven when they die. Some days they believe they have eternal life, but mm -hmm. other days they just think they're not sure. And I want people to be sure. I mean, it's what a horrible, horrible, horrible way to live. Imagine if, I mean, I'm married to a beautiful, a beautiful woman, Abby. Imagine if I lived not knowing if she loved me. I mean, that yeah. would be horrible. What if my kids were like that? What if, imagine a child, if my kids lived and they're like, not knowing that I love them and care for them, mm -hmm. just living in insecurity. That's a horrible, that's a horrible way to live. And it's horrible for a Christian to live not knowing God's attitude towards them, not knowing about their standing before God. So beyond doubt is to help people get assurance of salvation. And if I remember correctly, I went through some of, I picked a handful of the major reasons that people uh, lack assurance of their salvation. And right. I just examined each, each one of them to show um, this is a mistake you're making. And so you, you can have assurance of salvation. And I guess the fundamental, the very fundamental premise of the book is that 
Um, assurance is based on Christ's promise. It's something that comes from outside of you. It's a promise that he has made to you. And that so he has to keep. And so having assurance is simply being persuaded that his promise is true. So when Jesus yeah. promises you, if you believe in me, you will have everlasting mm-hmm. life and you're never going to die, never going to perish, never going to be condemned. Um, you've passed from death into life. No one's going to snatch you out of, your, out of my hand. When he promises all those things, if you're persuaded that's true, mm-hmm. you can think of it like a syllogism. Okay. Whoever believes in Jesus have has everlasting life. I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what do I have? I have everlasting life. Yep. And if you believe that conclusion, that's what assurance is. If you're persuaded, I have everlasting life. That's what assurance is. Mm-hmm. And anyone can have it based on Jesus's promise. The problem is there's all kinds of garbage in the culture to distract you from his mm-hmm. promise and to turn your eyes elsewhere. Um, yeah. Like, for example, some people, emotionalism, some people will think, you know, I'm only saved if I feel saved. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met people who thought yep. that? Yeah. Um, well, the problem with that is it's so subjective. Emotions come and go. It changes. They change with yeah. the weather. They it, they change with um, how you are, what you ate, what you ate, how you yeah. feel, all that stuff. Um, you need something objective. And ob- yeah. Jesus's promise is objective. Your emotions aren't. Um, other people st- pervert the gospel i'm just going to say pervert the gospel yeah not by adding works explicitly by by redefining faith to include good works so they're like yeah yeah you're saved by faith but you only really but... believe if you're doing x y and z yeah. and so that that again turns your eyes off of the promise and mm-hmm. onto your behavior and your behavior again is just as insecure just as changing just as changeable as your emotions yeah you don't know you don't know how you don't have a good enough memory of how you've behaved in the past. And you certainly don't know how you're going to behave in the future. So your mm-hmm. behavior cannot be a basis of assurance. It's only going to create doubt. And so I go over these different issues. Um, mm-hmm. I, let me, I have the book here. And if people, I mean, I would recommend the book. I've heard a lot of good, I've heard a lot of uh, good responses from people um, for this book, helping them get to get to a place of assurance mm-hmm. Um Assurance is simple. It, doubt is complicated. And the world makes doubt mm. so complicated and throws so much stuff at you that um, God wants you to be sure. I mean, he loves you. You're If you're a believer, you are his child and yeah. you are covered by Christ's righteousness. Mm. And God is, is going to be enjoying a relationship with you to, forever and ever and ever. And he wants you to know that. He yeah. does not want you to doubt. And so if you're in a, a church or a religion that is fostering doubt, Mm-hmm. Um, you need to get out and go to a place where, where they, they proclaim the clear promise of life. So you can yeah. be assured of your salvation, because that's, that's when the Christian life really and service really begins when you're, yes. when you're serving from a place of assurance rather than serving from trying to attain assurance. It's, it's, it's completely different motivation, uh, yeah. for service. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I know like even in apologetics, you know, there's always the question of doubt, you know, doubting God, you know, every now and then there'll be a seed of doubt, whatever the case is. And when things like that happen to me personally, I go back to the cross and the empty tomb, you yeah. know, that's an objective truth. But uh, I just, I got to encourage people that doubt's common to mankind because you got to think of John the Baptist. He was yes. the forerunner. Yes. And what did he say when he was in prison? He asked the people, is he the Messiah? Or should we look for another? Yeah, uh, this is John the Baptist who just before said, this is the Lamb of God. Yes. So doubts are very common, but. 
and you know doubts are normal that's mm. and i'm not saying that you just yeah. live totally confident of every belief you've ever had right i mean paul said be transformed by the renewing of your mind mm. which means you have just as much to unlearn as you have to learn oh, yeah. and so it's like you have to you have to be questioning some of your beliefs and you have to expect yeah. to grow and so i think i think doubt in some area is 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 good mm -hmm. um but it's not good to doubt your salvation. It's not good to doubt no. Jesus's promise of eternal life. It's no. not good to doubt the gospel. There's no virtue in doubting the gospel no. because that's just calling Jesus a liar. And there's this, that's, that's a sin. It's not a virtue. And so right. I, I want to get people to the point of being persuaded. Like, yeah, Jesus did mean what he says, what he promised, and he is faithful to his promise. So I know what I have. I know I have everlasting life. Amen. I love that. And, and how you said, when, what, once you overcome that doubt and you fully trust the assurance, it opens up the door for you to just serve in such a greater capacity. Absolutely. Know? And so I, I appreciate that. That's pretty much the last thing I have, you know, ask you for this interview. Is there anything as we close, anything you want to share with the rest of the people that are watching? How can people follow you? Free Grace International, stuff like that. Anything? Yeah. Yeah, last last plug. Check out check out my blog, The Art of Grace. You can sign up at freegrace.in or you can listen to it on all the major pod, uh, podcast uh, apps. And if you want to think of it this way, it's like the it's like that daily bread booklet that people have. Mm. It's it's devotional and it's all about God's grace in Christ and living the Christian life. So if you want to be encouraged, check out The Art of Grace and um, I'm going to have to in, invite you on to onto my show very soon promise me you're going to come on you just let me know when uh, lord willing we'll be in texas for the free grace conference in october very so, good uh, i might see you then there i might see you there so. then yeah that'd hopefully be great so. we'll run into each other but yeah let me know i'd be honored and privileged you know it's it's weird being on the other side of the camera i've done a lot of interviews as far as with people but never been interviewed so it's definitely different so very you good. just let we'll, me know but i we'll have a good time I appreciate it. I'm going to get links to your books, your blogs, uh, uh, the book from RB theme ministries, uh, reversionism as reversionism. well. Yeah. And so we'll get links to all that in the descriptions below. So, uh, go ahead, check out Sean's blog, uh, free grace international uh, ministries with Lucas kitchen as well and others. And, uh, thanks for checking this out and until next time, God bless.